We live at a moment in the history of the so-called advanced nations, when many of the values that have for centuries defined our societies are no longer widely shared. Patriotism, nationalism and strong government on the right, welfare, solidarity and equality on the left. All of these terms now serve to divide and polarise our social and political discourse. There is one idea, however, one value, that despite all its nuances and despite the different ways in which it's understood, continues to inspire passion and commitment across the political spectrum. And that value is liberty or freedom. Freedom is an idea regularly evoked, even weaponized, across government, economics, advertising and social activism to justify and commend a bewildering range of agendas and policies. Libertarianism and socialism, the Me Too movement and its detractors, corporate ambition and corporate restraint all justify themselves in terms of a discourse of freedom and liberty. A trend perhaps epitomised by the Bush administration in the US famously renaming French fries Freedom Fries in 2003 at the height of the Gulf War, or the recent rebranding of fossil fuels by the US Energy Department as Molecules of Freedom and Freedom Gas. Many of our greatest festivals commemorate moments of liberation, the 4th of July in the USA, the 14th of July in France, and, if Nigel Farage has any say in it, the 31st of January in what, for the time being, is still the UK. Many of our most celebrated cultural heroes are fated for their role in liberation struggles. Abraham Lincoln, Harriet Tubman, Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King, and, until recently, Aung San Suu Kyi. The promise of freedom sells automobiles, underwear, perfume, washing machines, political agendas, and war. Liberation stories make sense of our world, not only in the weak sense of showing us what's already there, but also in the much stronger sense of creating meaning for individuals and groups. Liberation stories not only describe us, they have the power to shape us and our desires, our expectations and our sense of our own identity. Our liberation, since the Enlightenment, has often taken the form of an assertion of autonomy. This is the note struck by Immanuel Kant in his celebrated essay, An Answer to the Question, What is Enlightenment?, where he writes, Enlightenment is man's emergence from his self-imposed tutelage. Dare to know, sapere aude. Have the courage to use your own understanding, is therefore the motto of the Enlightenment. It's also the motto of a modernity that sacralizes autonomy, making my self-determination an inviolable right and duty. At street level, this value of autonomy receives an instinctive endorsement in appeals to freedom of speech and conscience and in phrases such as, mind your own business, no one can tell me what to do, or you do you. Along with autonomy, 
our post-war settlement has been characterized by a premium on what Isaiah Berlin called negative liberty. Berlin tells a story like this. The grand ideologies, like communism and national socialism, that sought to remake humankind anew, have faded into the mists of time. And today, the prevalent notion of freedom is one in which the subject, a person or group of persons, is or should be left to do or be what he is able to do or be without interference by other persons. The subject, in other words, is liberated to live as he, she or they please. Under this same autonomy and negative freedom, however, prove acutely problematic tools with which to do justice to the stakes of liberty today. As it emerged from royal absolutism in the late 18th and early 19th centuries, liberal democracy came to name a system of government in which law-abiding citizens are afforded a degree of freedom from the coercive state and in which the regulated market is permitted a measure of economic freedom from direct top-down control, which perversely resulted in a situation in which the freedom of capital is sacrosanct, while democratic and social institutions, as well as the environment, are rendered disposable, except insofar as they can be profitably marketised. The language in which we express our autonomy has increasingly become that of consumption, with the market segmentation of consumer capitalism providing a proliferation of lifestyle choices to satiate the illusory autonomy of our commodified expressive individualism. Or take, for example, the current climate emergency. With increasing frequency, we're witnessing signs of significant social unrest in response to climate change. With increasing political pressure to curtail the exercise of excessive freedoms and practices, such as flight shaming, SUV shaming, and the loss of social capital associated with eating meat, and the shaming of parents who choose to have large families. All of these factors pushing back against what would previously have been considered autonomous choices in the sphere of negative liberty. When my autonomous decisions to drive as I please, fly as I please, eat as I please, and procreate as I please, threaten the continued habitability of the planet, then my freedom not to be interfered with becomes an existential threat to us all. In this subordination of personal choice to a global vision of sustainability, we're perhaps seeing a re-emergence of Berlin's positive liberty, the assertion of a source of control or interference that can determine someone to do or to be this rather than that. Or consider how the fourth industrial revolution, with its rapid developments in big data, artificial intelligence and the possibilities of human enhancement, is making possible new modes of governance and changing the balance of power between individuals, corporations and the state. The very concept of the autonomous individual is threatened 
by the increasingly sophisticated techniques of data profiling and targeting developed by governmental and parastatal agencies to manipulate markets and electorates with some demonstrable success, as in the case of Cambridge Analytica's work for Vote Leave and the Trump presidential campaign. What use is a concept of autonomy if my choices are nudged in ways that are intentionally kept opaque to me in order to serve interests that may very well not align with my own? What good is the negative freedom of doing what I want if the very idea of what I want has been carefully curated, packaged and sold to me? In recent decades, we've also seen an intensification of debate around the threats of terrorism and extremism. Seminally in the wake of the 9-11 attacks in New York and the 7-7 attacks in London, and more recent incidents in Paris, Berlin, Sydney, Melbourne and elsewhere. Freedoms of expression, movement, association and the right to privacy, considered inviolable in previous decades, are routinely suspended now in the name of nebulous and infinitely expandable objectives such as the war on terror and anti-radicalization. And these stresses dramatize the central dilemma of the social contract. The decision to relinquish a measure of personal freedom to a central authority in exchange for security. The state of exception is evoked with increasing regularity as a tool to ease the passing of restrictions on liberty and practices of surveillance that would be much harder to justify under quote-unquote normal circumstances. And indeed, in recent months, we've seen the stakes of freedom and autonomy in our societies dramatically escalate, with the COVID-19 pandemic foregrounding the tension between individual freedom and public health with the value of liberty featuring strongly on both sides of the Black Lives Matter protests, and with the ongoing situation between Hong Kong and mainland China. It is perhaps no exaggeration to suggest that ours is the age of the problematization, if not the crisis, of liberty. This is the first of two colloquia in which we're asking the twin questions, what is happening to our ideas of freedom, liberation and autonomy today? And how might those ideas and the way that they're articulated need to change in coming years in order to meet new challenges? This colloquium is, as far as we know, unique in its attempt to address the stakes of freedom today in an interconnected and cross-disciplinary way. The questions that we've set ourselves are fundamental to one of our society's most defining values and to its sense of its own identity. When we look back on this period in our history, we will perhaps say that we stood at a pivotal cultural moment for the evolution of freedom, with old ideas of liberty showing themselves threadbare and a space opening for their development, transformation or indeed substitution. And so it is in this context and into these challenges that we've gathered to examine the ends of autonomy.